No, really, I mean it. We're going to get started. <laughs> okay, so we are doing a little series on questions in the Gospels. So last week, um, well, the last couple of weeks, actually last week we had a missionary here, so um, that was pretty amazing to hear from Vera what's going on in Ukraine. But uh, so far what we've covered is uh, Zacharias and Mary both questioning Gabriel when they were hearing about uh, different uh, events that were about to take place. And then the last one we did was the Magi came asking where the king of the Jews was so they could worship him. So this week we're going to cover, um, we're going to be in both Luke 2 and 3. And so with that little intro, let me pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you once again for the opportunity to look into your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be a body of believers who are centered in you, um, that we find our identity in you, and that is what causes us to uh, just have this, this family relationship, and so we praise you for that. We ask that your spirit would be the one to guide us this morning, that you would be speaking, that we would be listening, and uh, just uh, drawing closer to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is, it, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and uh, he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and, and in favor with God and men. Okay, that's what we're talking about. We're going to come back to it. Because right now what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit more about questions. That first week, we did an intro and just kind of talked about questions and um, mayonnaise and whatever. Um, but anyway, we talked a lot about questions and different categories of questions and, and different things. Yeah, if you missed it, you don't know what the mayonnaise is about. Sorry about that. Too bad. It was mustard, that's right. See? I don't even know what I'm looking for. So, as we think about the Bible and the history that we know, what was the first question that was ever asked? Who asked it? Huh? Not God. The serpent did, right? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at that first question a bit. 
So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read a little bit and then we'll talk about it and read a little bit more and talk about it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now we know that that's not exactly true. Is this what we would call a bald-faced lie? Not necessarily. We know the question is wrong. It's a bit twisted. The truth is twisted. And the purpose was to confuse Eve. Um, since it's a question and not a statement, it's difficult to say it's a bald-faced lie. It's a question that's born from a lie, is the way I would put it. Okay. So verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of, trees of the garden we, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So where did Eve get the knowledge for this answer? Probably from Adam, right? Um, look over in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So clearly God told Adam, Don't eat from the tree. And then Eve comes after. So we're assuming that for Eve this is kind of secondhand knowledge, right? She heard, she heard it from Adam. Um, so just a side note, just as, an, as a thought, the further you get from the actual words of God, the greater chance there is of error. It's that whole telephone game where you sit in a circle and you start with a statement and you go around and whisper in each other's ear and you ask the person at the end what was said by the person at the first. It's nothing like that, right? So it's the same idea with the Word of God. It, it gets... The, the further we get from the actual text, the further we get from, you know, and some people are like, well, I just listened to this one preacher, you know. It's like, if you're, not if you're not reading the Word of God for yourself, if you're not studying, then you don't know what you're getting. Anyway, okay, so chapter, uh, verse 4, uh, in back in chapter 3. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So bad decisions lead to bad consequences. Um, Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? So here we see the first recorded question from God. Doesn't mean he didn't ask any questions before this, but here's the first one we see. Why does God ask questions? Is it because he needs the information? What's that? It's rhetorical, or it's to make, yeah, 
If you say a rhetorical question, does it make the other person think? Yes. God is, God is asking, where are you? Not because God doesn't know, but he wants Adam to be thinking about, why is God having to ask where I am? Does God already know the answers? Yes. Um, does he need a human to tell him the answers? No. Questions that God asks are for our benefit, not for God's. Um, so verse 10, he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, clearly, God is asking questions he knows exactly the answer to. The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with, to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? It's no longer sounding so much like information gathering. It sounds a bit more accusatory, like, all right, what'd you do? Again, knowing perfectly well what she did. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. It is interesting that God does not ask the serpent any questions. Why do you suppose that is? He went and did, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why do you think he doesn't ask the serpent any questions? Yeah, he's a liar. He knew fully well what he was doing when he did it, right? Adam and Eve, clearly Eve was deceived. We can talk some other to point about what Adam, where he was in the whole process, but, but obviously the serpent knew exactly what was going on from the beginning. He knew what his intention was. And God didn't need to ask him, why did you do this? He knew what his intentions were. Um, do you think it's going too far to say that one question changed everything? Not for God, but for us. One question really changed everything. What do you think Adam and Eve's demeanor was prior to being asked the question? Do you think they were curious about the tree? Did they wonder what it might be like to eat the fruit? What the results might be? Or do you think maybe they were just content doing their own thing? Maybe a little bit of both. I'm speculating. I don't know. This was one of those speculation questions that I just... Have you ever wondered how long it was before the serpent showed up? Was it days, weeks, months, you know... Hours? I don't know. It's really interesting. Um, interesting question. I don't have an answer for it, obviously. Um, yeah? If they were completely convinced that and trusting in, in God's word, then they wouldn't, their immediate reaction would have been, you're crazy. Right, right. I, I suspect that they probably didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, I think that they probably, it was pretty, there, there was a lot of innocence. We have a hard time understanding that because we're sinners. You know, we were born with this sin nature that makes us question everything, makes us go, well, why can't I? Why shouldn't I? You know, what are you holding back from me? You know, that tends to be our natural uh, 
perspective on things. For them, well, God said, don't do it. I don't know. Just don't do it. You know, they, they didn't have that sin nature yet. Um, but we are created in God's image. And since he is creative, it seems that we are made that way too, and even before the fall. So there's that creativity within them. Um, so I just wonder, was it only a matter of time before we got too curious about the tree? I don't know. I don't know. It, those are interesting questions, um, but we don't really know the answers, can't really know the answers, so they may not be terribly, terribly profitable. But just so you know, that's the way my brain works, and I ask all these crazy questions in my head. Um, so what changed as a result of the question asked in the garden? Okay, look at verse 7. What does it say? Their eyes were opened to what? Evil. Open to, open to the fact that they were naked. I think they were opened to themselves. Where before they didn't have to focus on themselves, now suddenly that knowledge Oh my goodness, I, I have to think about myself. Change from God focus to self focus. Before it was like he's, it's like a child who just knows that, you know, mom and dad are going to take care of everything, everything's okay, the world can be going crazy around them, they're just, they, they're, they're oblivious to it. But eventually they come to that point where mom and dad aren't there and all of a sudden things are scary. It's a little bit like that. Sin brought the false idea that I have to focus on me because no one else will. If I don't look out for number one, then I'm going to end up at the bottom of the heap. The first shall be first and best, and I need to be best. That kind of seems like that's what took place. So, with that in mind, and again, this, my, my focus has been questions in the Gospels, which just makes me think a lot about questions, which I already like to ask questions anyway. Are questions sinful? No. no. Are questions the result of living in a sinful world? Sometimes. Could be. Not let y'all, always. Not always. Maybe not always. But think about some of the questions we ask. Some of them, I think, are definitely a result of living in a sinful world. Yes, sir? Stomp on it or get a big stick or? I'd say, how come you could talk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If a snake is asking us questions, we, we should be asking some questions ourselves. Um, so just again along the lines of, are questions the result of living in a sinful world? Look at Genesis 4, starting in verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that, came, uh, that Cain brought an, um, an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he, did, he had no regard. 
So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Again, it's not that God doesn't know. And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain kills Abel. God questions him about it. How would you respond? How would you describe Cain's response to God? Arrogant, anger, avoiding. I would call it the first bald-faced lie. He said, I don't know. Really? Really you don't know? The serpent, the craftiest beast, asked a twisted question and he definitely lied in response to Eve's answer, but there were little bits of truth sewn into it, right? Well, you will die, not immediately, but spiritually, you will die immediately. You won't die physically immediately, but yes, you will die. Um, still, it was very much a lie, still just as egregious. But here, Cain straight out tells God a lie, saying he doesn't know where his brother is when asked by God. This is blatant. Everything about the situation involving sin, uh, involving Cain is sinful. So, those are some of the first questions in the Bible. Let's go back to, to Mary's question to Jesus. So, back in Luke. Back in Luke 2. Mary asks, Son, why have you treated us this way? Is that a sinful question? No, I don't think so. What's the motivation behind Mary's question? Worry? Concern? Hurt? Anxious? Those kind of things? Hmm? Scared? Scared? Probably exasperated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we had to. You identified, don't you? Yeah. 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 They just traveled. So just to give you an idea, I was reading one of the commentaries about, you know, typically for you know, there were three feasts that people would often go to Jerusalem for. The Passover was a big one, and probably it's very possible that like the whole village or a good portion of the village all caravan there together, and so now they're going back. Well, when they would caravan, apparently, the women and children would be kind of up at the front setting the pace. The men would be at the back, probably dealing with livestock and whatever. Well, you can imagine Jesus as a 12-year-old boy now. He could be kind of anywhere in that group, right? He could be back with the men doing the men thing, could be you know, hanging out with playing with kids, whatever. And so it's it's easy to say, well, why didn't they know? Well, he's 12 years old, you know, he's and this is all family and friends, and it's not a big deal. 
So if you don't see him, you're not that worried about it, but you get to the end of the day and you go, have you seen him? No, have you? No, you start looking around, you start asking, nobody's seen him. Well, he's not here. So um, that's, and, and so then you, you've traveled a whole day. Now you've got to travel a whole day back, and then you're going to spend another day looking for him before you finally find him. So three days in, yeah, mom's a little, mom's a little tweaked. Yeah, Jack? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Possible. Possible. Um, so clearly she's worried, she's concerned, she's anxious, she's frustrated, all those kind of things. Um, are those things wrong? No, not necessarily. Um, what would be the motivation for those things? Care, yep. Concern, love. I love the fact it's all the moms answering, you know, because <laughs> they know they know what this is like. Yes, my wife. <laughs> Right. My kids have shown me that more than anything. Right. I want them to be a certain way. I want to expect them to do certain things. And so I think you could you could maybe argue that maybe Mary was holding on too tight. Right. Was there anything in Mary's experience that would tell her she probably didn't need to worry about this one <laughs> quite so much? She knew he was a son of God. Yeah. Yeah, she, she had an angel tell her some things about him, you know. And I realize, too, as I hear from the moms, that she's now, you know, he's 12 years old. They've been married for 12 years. We know they had more kids, so probably by now there's at least two or three more, possibly more than that. But, you know, she's, she's a mom, not just to the perfect one, but to little sinners as well, right? <laughs> So, so she's dealing with both. Um, but there was something that she knew about this particular one that could have told her maybe she didn't need to worry the same way. Would you agree with that? Um, oh, we do. We absolutely do. Yeah, that was one of the things I was like, you know, one of the questions has Mary's simplicity of faith changed in 12 or 13 years? I think it kind of has. You know, we looked at, that was the first one we looked at was, um, 
Zacharias and, and Mary and, and the simplicity of, you know, Lord, how are you going to do this? It's beautiful, you know. It does, and that's what I'm getting at is that 12 or 13 years later, several, you know, two or three more kids, whatever it is, probably changed her perspective a lot. I can tell you when Heather and I got married versus, you know, after the first two or three or four came along, she was a little different. Jack? You know, God has a way of preparing us also. Yep. For events that are coming. Yep. At some point in time. Yep. The way it says that she cut this away. Yeah. Yeah. And she did that with several things. Yeah. Right. Now, if we were Catholics, we'd probably be, we might be attacking this a little differently, but, but I'm acknowledging the fact that Mary was a sinner too. She, she struggled with the realities of sin and, and worry that wasn't necessarily justified. I also think of the fact that Mary saw Jesus as her son. Yeah. And I think we do that with our own children. We forget God loaned them to us. Right. We are his children. Yeah. And we have to have that same idea. Okay, Lord, this really is your child. Help me treat this child like you. you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really hard to remember. Um, and, you know, as we've got one that's out of the house and two that are on the verge of leaving the house, you know, and, and more that are going to be, it is hard to remember. It's, it's, it's hard to accept or hard to let them go and say, yes, these kids are yours, Lord, not mine. Um, because we are responsible. There are things that we are required that God expects of us in raising our kids. Um, but ultimately, they are his, not ours. Um, another thing that springs to my mind with the other children, as you say, the little sinners, she had to be thinking, okay, they're going to say, well, how can he do that? <laughs> <laughs> are you the son of God? I don't think so. Question him and go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sue? Yeah. Uh, here, you know, it, the word says, I have been looking anxiously, or anxiously. Right. Yeah. So, might it also be in that she did recognize he was super serious, and as you say, right. she then had responsibility. Right. That could be. Right. Oh my gosh, I lost it. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Not there yet. Maybe yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Let me let me bring this around to where I'm getting to. <laughs> yeah. We we've been it's been fun. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't think Mary's question was sinful. I think the fact that Mary had to ask the question, the fact that Mary was anxious, is the result of living in a sinful world. 
Because if we're not living in a sinful world, what does she have to be anxious about? Nothing. There's no reason to be concerned about where Jesus is, what he's doing. Everything's good. I don't have to worry about what somebody's doing to him or what influence somebody's having over him. I'm, I'm positing this idea that questions are a result of the fall. For the most part, I think, and I don't know, this is, and I'm, I'm throwing it out there because I think, it, I think it's an interesting supposition, um, but I could be wrong. I think questions come largely from a place of uncertainty. Uncertainty entered in when sin entered in. So when, when we're sitting, when, when we're God-focused, there's no reason for uncertainty. Sin and self-focus cause uncertainty. What kind of questions do we ask because of our sin and self-focus? We ask questions like, am I okay? Am I enough? Am I accepted? Do I do God's will? will? Why Why me? Am I loved? Am I lovable? Am I desirable? What does the future hold for me? What about my kids? Are they going to embarrass me? Are they going to be okay? Will I have enough money to retire? Can I do the things I want to do? Who's going to take care of me? Why did God make me this way? What if God made a mistake when he made me? We're hearing a lot of that lately. Those are just a few. Any others before I... What are these questions rooted in? Self. Self. And what else? Unbelief. Unbelief. Fear. Fear. Yeah, what, what were Adam and Eve, what, you know, what was going on when they say, you know, we hid ourselves, we covered ourselves with leaves because we realized we were naked? Well, I don't want to be seen when I'm naked. Before it was, when I was God-focused, it wasn't a problem. I don't care. I don't know. God made me this way. I'm fine. What they fear before? Nothing. Did they even ask these questions? I don't think so. But there's plenty of evidence that afterwards they asked them. Sowing fig leaves, hiding from God. So what is the answer to fear? Faith. Faith. Trust. Trust. What's the word say? Ann? I want to go back to Genesis 3. Because Uh-oh. The key point here is that the serpent said he will be like God. Right. And that's our temptation yeah. to do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. Right. Right. And I try to keep that in mind because that can keep us from 
doing it our way. Right. Not trusting God. Yeah. Yeah, one of the... If you say your will, not mine, then you're saying, I want what you want, and I'm going to trust you in this situation. Well, what, what does it mean to be, in a, to be part of a kingdom? It means to be under the king, right? right. It means to be subjected to, submitted to. Um, one of the words that Charlie used a little while back that just keeps coming back to me is yielded. Am I yielded or am I the one trying to keep the reins and hold on to where we're going here and protect myself and, and those kind of things, protect my interests and make sure that all these questions that I'm, I'm, I'm answering them for myself. So I think the answer to, you know, what is the answer to fear? It's perfect love. When we are loved perfectly, perfect love drives out fear. That's what the word says. When we recognize that we are fully loved, perfectly loved, it frees us up from those things. I don't have to worry about who I am, what I am, all those different things. It, he says I'm good enough. He says I am loved. He says, he's, he answers, Christ answers all these things. He is the answer to all these questions. All right, um, I'm going to try to get this, see if this works or not. Um, look over at Luke chapter 3. We're going to, I'm going to start with uh, verse 3, and then we're going to jump to uh, verse 7. Um, so now we're talking about John the Baptist. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then jump to verse 7. Um, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree, tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do, is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to, him to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So what was John's mission and purpose? Prepare hearts for Jesus. The king is coming. Get ready. How did he do that? What was, what was he saying needed to happen for that to, for that to take place? What did people need to do to have their hearts ready for Jesus? Repent. Repent. Repent from your sins. Cause people to recognize, he was causing people to recognize that they were sinful sinners. And creating a desire to turn away from sinfulness toward righteousness. And, and in Israel, if you were, you know, one of the leaders and you're doing all the right things, you call other people sinners. I'm not a sinner, right? So that's, why I think, why he says, you brood of vipers. What are you, what are you doing? Um, he's saying they need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But it starts with acknowledging you're a sinner. How many Bible colleges today do you expect are telling future preachers to call their, their hearers a brood of vipers? 
It's not happening a lot. So in verses 10 to 13, there's three different groups who all ask basically the same question. The crowds ask, what shall we do? John says, share with those who don't have what you have. The tax collectors ask, what shall we do? Don't collect more than you're ordered to. Soldiers, what shall we do? Don't take money by force or falsely accuse anyone. Be content with what you with your wages. Um, what is the motivation that causes all negative all of the negative actions that John was condemning? Fear, fear and self protection. Yeah, again, I've got to protect. I've got to make sure that I get mine right. I I can't share what I have because there won't be enough for me and my family. I have to collect more taxes than when I'm ordered to, or I won't have enough to live like I'm accustomed to. If I'm content with what I have and don't use my position to intimidate people, I'll look weak to my peers or to my superiors and may be ridiculed or may even lose my position. And forcing people to pay me for protection means I, get to, I can afford nicer things. What were John's answers based in? Fear was the motivation for the reason these people are asking these questions. What is, John's, what is John saying your motivation should be? Love. And, and trusting God's provision. It's, it's one thing for me to say, you know, I, I'm going to give stuff away, but I've got to trust that it's, it's like the, the widow who gives her last penny, you know, and Jesus commends her saying, she doesn't know where her next meal is coming from, but she's giving because God has called her to. Um, so it's faith that God is looking out for your needs and even your wants, and certainly that he has your best interest in heart. That and love for your neighbor. What, when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? What's he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor and yourself, as yourself. Um, what he's talking about is taking the focus off of me and focusing instead on how I can bless, encourage, even take care of, lift up my brother or sister. That's the motivation. So there's one question I haven't really addressed yet. And that is when Jesus answers Mary, why were you looking for me? Why were you worried about me? What's there to worry about, Mom? Who's in control? I'm doing my father's business. That's why I came. That whole, when he said... Um, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? It's probably, it's more like, didn't you know I had to be do, about my father's business, doing what my father has me here for? I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There's nothing in the wor world to worry about. My father has me, and he has it all. He's got it all. He's got it all figured out. Even when I die... Even when I die, there will be nothing to worry about. My father will be 100% in control. Yes. Yeah. At what age did the young, oh, I'm, I'm 
a boy to me. Right, yeah. Probably in those days it was not. Was that the age that they would have started going under the, under the tutelage, tutelage of, of, a, of, of, a, of a rabbi? Possibly. Yeah. yeah, probably so. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that Jesus was, Mary thought of him as her son, but he wasn't Joseph's son. Right, right. And Jesus did not, Jesus had a different direct, I mean, he right. Well, there's there's something I'm not touching in here because I don't we don't have time to get into it. But but she asks, um, she says, why have you treated this this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus, in his answer, did you not know that I had to be in my father's yes. business? You know, yeah. So this whole I, I I don't have time to get into that one, <laughs> but it's interesting, right? There, there's some interesting stuff there. The the juxtaposition there. Um, so. My father's 100% in control, but because I love you, I will return with you and be in subjection to you. Israel? I don't think he's saying Joseph's not my father. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, and again, that's why I didn't want to get into this, but I don't think he's saying, he's not in any way disrespecting Joseph. He's just saying, I have, there's someone who sent me here, and I have to be about his business. Lugi, is that? Yeah, verse 51, it explains he continued in subjection to that. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't interrupted. But I think the same way that in the garden, God's asking a rhetorical question to prompt something in the audience's heart. Jesus is doing the same thing in his mother, which is a surreal circumstance that is just unique to them, but it's that he's calling her back to recognize his motive is trustworthy in all circumstances. Right. So if he disappears, he is unlike absolutely everyone else in creation. Right. That his motive for doing absolutely everything can be trusted even when you have no idea what it is. Right. And yeah. that's something that I think that is incredible because now her responsibility to take care of him. All, none of that's suspended. Right. She's still required to do everything that a mother does. She doesn't have less responsibility because he's Jesus, but she has to trust in a way that I don't think any other mother has. She has to give up in a different way than any other parent has ever had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm almost finished, and I'm, we'll, whatever time is left, I'll, I'll let you all. Um, all right. Jesus was free to be at the work of his father in the temple or at the work of being submissive to his earthly parents. He, he was free in, in his father to do that. He knew both were important, but that the father would bring about everything in its perfect time. So when the opportunity to speak and move people closer to the father presented itself, he was free to do that. When being in subjection to his earthly, to his earthly parents was needed, he was free to do that because he is... Um, because his heavenly father had it all in his control. When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, he was at peace because he was led there by the Spirit. There's nothing to worry about. My father has this under control, and when he was standing before Pilate, there's nothing to worry about. It's all part of the plan. Um, I had some application questions, but um, I'm going to open it up for comments, questions. And if not, I'll, if I've got time, I'll get to those.
Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah, Ann? Right. So it's not being afraid, but it's what you do with the fear. Right. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked with. You can just see they're making that decision based on fear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fear is a huge motivator. Um, and, and whether God gave us that, that fear or whether it came about at the fall... I tend to think it came out about at the fall because I think there was none before. The, you know, fear of, you know, if you're standing there across from a grizzly bear, it's good to be afraid because sin is in the world and that grizzly bear is going to eat you if he wants to, right? Um, so fear is a healthy thing in a sinful world. Apart from sin, there's no need for fear. Anybody else? All right, so just these were the application questions I had because we we're pretty much out of time. How are you doing with letting go of control and allowing your Heavenly Father to take control? What do you need to let go of? It's not easy. It's not easy. Nope. And I'm not standing here because I've got it all figured out. What do you need to let go of? Finances? Kids? Spouse? Your job, your future plans, fill in the blank. Are you prepared to allow God to work his ways that may not be so comfortable to you, but will be for your best? Do you trust him that much? Do you believe that he's got all that figured out? Even when it may be painful to go through, do you trust him? How are you allowing sin to dictate your thoughts, your worries, your self-focus? Last question, what would it look like to not have to focus on yourself for a day? I think we call that heaven. <laughs> All right. Lugie, will you pray for us?